0: You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now, for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman.
1: Mark, good morning. It is uh, Saturday, October 17th. 17 days, Mark, on the 17th. 17 days until uh, like that November symmetric. 3rd. Can't wait. <laughs> Thank goodness. We're joined this morning by our uh, friend and partner, Darren Collier, from our Chicago office. Darren splits his time between uh, Springfield, Illinois, and Washington. And, and we have a special guest. Darren, I'll kick it to you to introduce our special guest.
0: Uh, thanks, Howard, and uh, good morning, Mark. How's it morning, going, Darren? Good. good. Um, I, this morning, I have the pleasure to introduce um, a very good friend who happens to be the congressman from the second district of Illinois, um, Robin Kelly. Um, just a quick, brief um, bio on Robin. She's been uh, a state rep. Um, she's run for state treasurer. She has she has been a chief of staff to a uh, constitutional office in Illinois, as well as a chief of staff to a county board president. Uh, she currently uh, sits on the Energy and Commerce Committee, and um, I don't like saying that she focuses on certain issues because actually, Robin just kind of does a little bit of everything. There's no such thing as an issue that's too big or too small for Robin to dig into. So, um, with that, welcome, Congresswoman Kelly.
1: Congresswoman, Thank you welcome. So much. Thanks for Thank joining you so the Beltway much. Briefing. We're honored to have you here, um, and. It, this is a little bit of a free-for-all, as, as you've already experienced in our uh, pre-discussion, but Congresswoman, let's start here. What do you think the prospects are for a blue wave in, in 17 days?
2: I don't want to jinx anything, but um, as each day passes, I do feel better about it when you see how many people are voting and who's voting not that i want to assume anything but um uh, actually the president continues to help us every day uh in some ways because of the things he says the things he does or the things that you know he doesn't do so um i'm feeling confident but i've learned from 2016 <laughs> never be too confident
0: yeah. that's all ptsd robin
3: are there certain races that you're watching that you think will tell us more than just about the districts are there certain house races that you think may give us an idea of which way the country's going
2: well interestingly enough i'm watching more of the senate races you know but um you know like what happens in Arizona would be big. What happens in Maine? What happens in, oh, fingers crossed, South Carolina um, with <laughs> right. Jamie and Lindsay, you know, use my words against me, Lindsey Graham and uh, Colorado. But um, and even in Georgia with some of the people running Mike Espy in Mississippi, um, our hardcore races in the house, I would be looking at, um, you know, Iowa, Definitely what's happening in Texas, you know, um, will our red to blues really turn it blue uh, and, and some of the races in Georgia.
1: And Congresswoman, in prepping to talk to you today, it, it just struck me how interesting your congressional district is. The <laughs> Illinois second congressional district stretches from the city of Chicago to rural areas right. in, in the state of Illinois that actually voted for Trump in in 2016 so you have a diverse constituency what what are you hearing from your constituents and how do you balance that diversity in your own district
2: yeah my district is urban suburban and rural I say I have the city slickers the suburbanites and the farmers I have 1200 farms in my district but the way I um operate, I look at it that everyone, no matter where you live, wants a roof over their head. Most people want a job. They want health care, good education for their kids and want to live in a safe environment. So that's how I kind of run, you know, what I do, just always thinking about that. And uh, yes, the uh, more south you go, the more Republican or more rural, but I have an excellent relationship with my farmers who seem like a more uh, Republican, but I just received two awards uh, from, you know, my, my farmers, which I am just so proud of because I know when I first got elected, they probably were like, Oh my God, who's coming to represent (laughs) us. But, um, and I know they thought I was this Chicago girl, but what they didn't realize, they learned that I'm a New York city girl. And, um, uh, when I came to Illinois, though, I came to Peoria for many, many years. Both my kids were born there. And then I moved to Madison, where I live now. So there's this issue Darren knows about it, whether you live <laughs> north of I-80 or south. And I've always lived south. And then when I told him, no, I was born and raised in Manhattan, but we had a little farm in southern New Jersey, you know, nothing compared to what they have. We had 10 acres and they crack up. When I tell my I slaughtered pigs, you know, uh, we had a lot of chickens and, you know, so I told them I could relate a little bit, but I'm just very open to learning and, um, and I'm very respectful. That's very important to me for my, me and my staff to be respectful and responsive, no matter how you feel, even if we don't agree. So, so Mark
0: Howard, so, yes. she's unabashedly a New Yorker as well, just so we can. I'm, I'm
2: dying I mean, to so.
1: ask you who your sports teams are, but I'm, that's putting you on the spot. If you're, you're from Boston,
2: so you don't
0: wanna know.
2: Yeah, no, wow. Now, now I I mean, how about that? Yankees. <laughs> she's one
0: of the few she's one of the few Chicago politicians who actually says, no, I'm a no, I'm a Yankee fan.
2: I can't I'm not gonna lie. I mean, <laughs> They called me out when I was a state rep, but I tried to pass my first bill. They said I sounded funny. Who did I root for? So it's all right. I'm
1: not going to. All right. I love it.
2: I'm not going to do the Hillary Cubs Yankee thing. No. No, (laughs) That didn't work. That is
3: is such an interesting district you're in. uh, Yeah. I love it. I love the diversity. Well, I'm guessing it wasn't drawn for you specifically, right?
2: (laughs) No. No one knew I was even going to be there <laughs>
1: right. yeah. Yeah. yeah so given so so given that diversity given the fact that you've worked basically at all levels of government local state federal you have that diverse constituent base how do we fix where we are today i mean ah. reg- i know small <laughs> question let's regardless well let's let's assume. Biden wins. Mm -hmm. He's ahead in the polls. So let's assume he wins. What how do we put Humpty Dumpty back together? How do we restore faith in our institutions of government, given where we are?
2: I think that we have to um, do what we say we're going to do, you know, in a respectful way. Um, If Joe Biden wins, I mean, I think really the first thing he's going to have to deal with no matter what he wanted to deal with first is going to have to be COVID. I mean, it's not uh, going away. And um, even though everybody wants the economy open, I want it open also. But also um, today, I think, is it two days in a row or three days in a row in Chicago, the numbers have gone up. And one of the days it was the highest it had been since March or the second highest. So things are going the wrong way. So I think that, you know, we have to deal with that. And, uh, then, you know, we're not going to change anything overnight. That's the thing that people have to realize, but we have to slowly, um, you know, deal with health care, deal with the economy. And, you know, one big way that I know the house wants to do, we already passed the legislation is let's look at infrastructure that impacts everybody roads, bridges, tunnels, water, but the way we're doing it, we're doing that, but also broadband, you know, I have parts of my district, I've done about 15 census events. 40% of the people in the rural part of my district can't even get online to fill out the census. You know, we got to fix that. And, um, you know, and then with the healthcare and education, I, I do a lot of work around healthcare and uh, pushing, um, telemedicine and telehealth a lot but people have to have the tools you know to be able to do it the other part of the infrastructure bill Mm -hmm. is looking at our schools and what we need to do to bring our schools even into you know the 21st century so that'll create jobs also um so i mean i you know the economy and healthcare are two really big things but covid is looming um you know over it and then um I know a lot of our young people, a lot of people, period, are concerned about the environment, but it all intersects.
3: Well, while we're looking ahead, Congresswoman, uh, the Supreme Court, of course, is taking up the Affordable Care Act. I know. There is, of course, the possibility, I personally don't think we'll see it, but there's the possibility that it gets thrown out in its entirety, I think actually you're more likely to see some of it severed and, and tossed. But what is the prospect in Congress for fixing things after the Supreme Court acts? Again, we're assuming a Biden administration and we're assuming a uh, Schumer leadership. So it's going to be all Democrats in charge. What, what's the thinking about what can be done?
2: Well, the hope is yes, it's going to the Supreme Court November 10th, but it's not going to be decided November 10th. And when you think about Thanksgiving's coming, the December holidays are coming, whatever you happen to celebrate, and hopefully what you said is going to happen, so that may give us some time to shore up some of the things that need to be shored up or changed and those kind of things. So by the time a decision comes, maybe we've, you know, um, not moved on, but made a stronger foundation or put some different things in or, um, you know, could side skirt what they, you know, decide to do. Um, uh, That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, And of course, Um, Vice President Biden wants to keep the Affordable Care Act. He was part of the administration, but he does want to improve it and then, you know, look at a public option. So I'm hoping that we've had time to do some things we could do before a decision comes.
3: Do you think you'll see any bipartisan support for that? Do you think some of your Republican colleagues have gotten used to the act by now and after failing for 10 years to repeal it are, are ready to reform it?
2: Well, if they haven't gotten used to it. Uh, their constituents have. I mean, if you right. say Obamacare, people say, uh, But if you say the Affordable Care Act, uh, then people like it. They like it more now that uh, Uh, Barack's not the president anymore but um, (laughs) so I people don't want it to go back to your pre-existing conditions and you know your children can't be on especially when you think about now a lot of people don't even have jobs you know so if you can keep your you know kids on you want to do that and then the lifetime cap so um, I think that and and depending on who wins and loses If they see, you know, a lot of their colleagues, you know, lost, you know, maybe that'll be convincing too, that this is what the people want. And, and with Trump gone, then they don't have to be, I hate to use the word, but they don't have to be afraid because that's what it seems like with some of them, you know, that they are, we get along better than people think. And, and we do talk more than people think we do. And we do have more bipartisan bills. We just can't get, uh, the Grim Reaper McConnell to entertain the bills, whether they're right. bipartisan or not. You know, he's he just wants to pack the courts.
1: So yeah, it's it's pretty clear to me that, and I'm proof positive of this that uh, a, a vote for Biden is as much a vote against Trump as it is a vote for anything else. Maybe I think even more uh, for from some people anyway, and it's it's for a lot of people it's it's not a vote for progressive progressivism and for more ec- extreme extremism and <laughs> how do how does a democratic how would a democratic congress Strike the right balance, Democratic leadership, strike the right balance, because people don't want, you know, far left policies. Mm-hmm. They generally want centrist <laughs> policies and thoughtful policies. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you strike the right balance?
2: You know, it's interesting that you asked that question because. um I'm running for vice chair of the Democratic Caucus. And one of the things that I talk about is that we, as our tent grows and we have more diversity, we've always had, you know, in the, democratic caucus that we need to take the time to get to know each other as individuals more so we have you know the opportunity to learn why i vote like i vote or the constituents i represent and those kind of things because the next two years we have got to be unified we don't have to agree on every issue you know there may be some compromise and those kind of things because when um the next election comes. We don't want to lose. We don't want to go back. We don't want to lose, you know, our majority. My first five years I was in the minority. It ain't no fun, you know, and even this has been hard because of the Senate, but we, we don't want to lose the gains we made and what we could possibly do. So, um, you know, uh, it'll be a fine line, you know, and hopefully, um, like again, we can spend time with each other, get to know each other, not just at a retreat, but ongoing. And that's one thing as the vice chair that I wanna push. And also to make sure to use uh, Governor Quinn's term, everybody in, nobody out, that even if you don't get your way, that your voice is heard at the table, you know, that we need to listen to everybody. And then, if, you know, we go in another direction, we go in another direction, but at least people feel valued and appreciated for what their input is. But it's not going to be easy. I agree.
3: And let me preface uh, my question following up on that. We, we don't know one another well, Congresswoman, but uh, I want to preface it by saying lifelong Democrat. And could not possibly be more proud of the speaker and her leadership these last two years. However, <laughs> the <laughs> leadership of the party in Congress is uh, is aging. Let, let's say it uh, politely. What are not we? Young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you're. 20 years younger than the leadership, and, and... And I'm not young. You're not a teenager. You're not a teenager. So what do we do about new leadership um, in the House on the Democratic side? Not because of the failure of this leadership. right? No, I got you. But because of the, the aging of this leadership.
2: Well, I think that um, in two years... I'm guessing no one's told me anything, you know, that we'll start to see uh, some changes. Uh, I, you know, for me, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I, I love me some Hakeem Jeffries, <laughs> and I hope that, you know, he's definitely in the uh, pipeline. Uh, I think he's well respected. I think he's run a great, you know, caucus. I would love to be his vice chair, you know, but I think um, and then there were there's been other things. Um, Created where uh newer people can be uh leaders, but just because you're newer doesn't mean that you're so young I mean like with if you look at black women coming in, yeah, there are some that are young, but it's it's interesting that we come in at a older age, it's harder, you know, and, uh, but uh, I think there have been things created, we have a message group, we have, if you've been there five terms or less, and there are, you know, freshmen running for leadership positions, I'm sure somewhere down the pike uh, in the not too distant future there'll be conversation around uh, leadership of committees you know but seniority has been really important uh, to some groups in particular the congressional black caucus because if it wasn't for seniority we probably would not be the leaders you know so uh, even though you know that's changing and we're growing by leaps and bounds we might there we have 54 once. Um, John Lewis's replacement comes in, it'll be 55. And we, I think we're going to have maybe seven to nine new members, you know. So even new members coming in, you know, they they want an opportunity to, you know, be leaders also. Right. So I I think things are going to change because, like you said, of age and and, and more people are, you know, retiring also.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about the vice chair race, Congresswoman?
2: Just the vice chair's race, of course, you know, is an assistant to the chair, but also deals with member services. And, you know, for me, it's giving members the tools they need to be successful, to be the best members, you know, they can be. And depending on the member, whether you're red to blue, frontline, or I can't stand this term if you're from a safe district because you know, people <laughs> think you don't need help, but, you know, everybody needs help. And as we see from these recent elections, no district is really safe. It may right. be a safe Democratic district, but you may not be the Democrat, you know. <laughs> right. So um, so helping yeah. members with tools, uh, as I said before, uh, uniting members, having us have the opportunity to be together more. And then the other thing is, for me, I will be a very strong voice if I'm lucky enough to make it uh, at the leadership table around disparities. We have got to lessen Uh, you know, start to decrease the disparities in this country, whether it's racial, ethnic, religious, geographic location. As I said, the people in my rural area, um, they don't have, you know, broadband, uh, you know, in my area, people still have outhouses, you know, they're using propane gas, we, we have to, you know, improve their quality of life, because I feel like, That's what causes the division, the fear, the mistrust, you know, the hate even. So I will be a strong voice, you know, for that issue um, at the leadership table. The other thing is, um, it'd be nice to have a a voice from the Midwest for a change, even though I'm a Midwest and understands... (laughs) The coast, but um, (laughs) you don't see that uh, too often. And frankly, the other thing is there has not been a black woman elected uh, to the longstanding leadership position since, drum roll, Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that's a long time ago. And we're supposed to be the backbone of the party, the saviors, the loyalists, but we can't seem to get elected. So I'm trying.
3: (laughs) And when is that? congresswoman you're
2: uh we uh it'll be the 18th and the 19th it's all the leadership positions the speaker the majority leader the whip the assistant to the speaker the caucus chair vice chair you know five and under and then the message group so it'll be over a couple of days right
1: and 2020 is a year that they'll probably write about in the history books for a long long time (laughs) Between COVID and social justice issues, racial justice issues, and everything that's that's gone on. impeachment.
3: I forgot about impeachment. <laughs> I forgot about that, man.
0: It's <laughs> well, seems and, like a lifetime ago.
1: Well, and by the way, we still have ten weeks to go.
2: I <laughs> know. <So, laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Anything can happen. Yeah. So, but you know, again, back to the diversity of your district. How do you? How do we cement some of the? Progress that's been made this summer, this year, on surfacing the deep-seated issues on racial and social justice. How do we how do we make some real progress?
2: Well, I mean, I do think um, some things are you know deal with legislation because of the institutionalized uh, or systemic racism. I think some of that. Also, I think everyday people. Uh, need to check themselves too. I do a lot of work or I did, you know, around diversity. I was a diversity trainer. There's things I started or helped start in my district uh, where we, uh, you know, all of us from all over the, actually my district, as it turns out, you know, we got together and we have dinner with people we don't know, but we look different or different religion, different location, but I think more things need to be done. You know, in that vein, I also think companies need to st- step up Who's on your board? Who's in your C-suite? Who are you not only hiring but nurturing and promoting? You know across what divides us. You know, um, um, you know, we all have a role to play. You know, in this, and uh, we need to play it. If we want this country to be the best that it can be. Yeah.
3: Well, let me, let me ahead, bring you back, if I may, uh, Congresswoman to uh, to the present. We've talked uh, a lot about the future, but. What do you see, if anything, happening in the next couple of weeks in Congress on COVID relief? And once you tell us nothing, because I think that's <laughs> the only answer, what what is this lame duck session going to look like?
2: You know, um, I'm very disappointed that it looks like nothing will happen with COVID, because when I... Uh, leave you today, I will be going where we're giving out, you know, boxes of food uh, to people and other things too. And I've participated in a few of those where a thousand boxes of food we're giving out. People really, really uh, need uh, our help, you know. So um, to be honest with you, if I'm going to say when uh, Biden (laughs) wins, that I am a little worried about what happens November 4th through January 19th because our president is so unstable. I don't know, you know, what he might do or people that lost, what, you know, what will they do? Will they do the right thing because they did lose and they don't have anything to worry about? But I, you know, I'm hoping that... um, You know he doesn't do anything, but I just can't believe you know that's going to happen. And but maybe I don't know. You know it's it's a little scary. Plus the other thing is there are a number of states that um, the mail in ballots um, they don't have to officially be um, finished. Like California is November 20th, Illinois and Michigan are November 17th, so we could still be counting you know, ballots. And there's a host of other states, too, that November 3rd is not the deadline. So I just wonder, you know, what issues that will bring. You know, I'm hoping that uh, Biden wins by a lot so we don't have to, you know, have all of this back and forth. But again, the president is so unpredictable that it's just hard to know, you know, what will happen. I,
3: I think we're all Worried uh, is the honest word about what happens from Election Day to Inauguration mm-hmm. Day. And, and you say you're worried about what the president might do, as as I certainly am. We also have to worry that he does nothing. If he doesn't sign a bill that gets to his desk, the government doesn't stay open and mm-hmm. whatever else, COVID relief and the rest, it. it It is going to be one more uncharted experience with Mm -hmm. with this guy.
2: And then the other thing is now that uh, more Republicans are trying to separate themselves, you see the governor of Massachusetts, uh, nor the governor of um, Maryland, both Republicans, will be voting for him. And uh, Governor Hogan is the head of the uh, the Governor's Association, you know, across the United States because I mean, he, the president seems so vengeful, he is a retaliatory. So, you know, <laughs> then now, you know, Senator Sass is speaking out more, you know, again, people are trying to, yeah. you know, it's a little bit a too late. A little late, little you know? late with Ben Sass.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly.
3: I agree. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie Baker and Larry Hogan, whatever else you think of them, have at least been consistently yeah. critical. <laughs> yeah. Ben, ben Sass comes and goes. I I, I, I agree. This is not an impressive performance by Caesar. Right.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's hard it's hard. He's the president and he's got he uses his Twitter pretty fiercely. It's, I don't know, it's hard. It, like I admire anybody who's <laughs> up and and bucks him and we certainly need we certainly need folks to keep him in check. Well, we can't thank you enough for making the time to to thank join you. us on a on a busy Saturday for you anyway. Um, you guys. work seven days a week. Thank we you. really appreciate the the great dialogue and Listen, a Yankee fan is always welcome on this podcast. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. So uh,
2: it's hard to watch the playoffs now. Very hard. And and Houston should definitely not be there. They didn't even have a winning record, and they're cheaters. I know they should
1: automatically (laughs) disqualified. I know. I agree. I gotta tell
3: you, Congresswoman, I'm with you. Unless we carry Texas, if we carry Texas, I'm all
1: for go Houston. Uh,
2: He's thank you so much. Lee.
1: <laughs> and uh we hope you'll come back after the election and,
3: and talk Definitely more and thanks yeah, for thanks to. for
1: joining us thanks
3: yep, thank nice you service.
2: anything for darren uh, yeah.
3: oh yeah yeah before we forget thank you darren <laughs> <lot of>
2: words. <laughs> yeah that guy thanks. see you right. later
0: bye you. bye you've been listening to the beltway briefing a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.